Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. How about we turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's hard to believe that we've done 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And remember, this is Paul's letter to a church that was very young. It was just founded. And as we pointed out throughout the teaching, talked about the rapture of the church and, and everything that's going to still happen in our lifetime or could happen in our lifetime. People of Thessalonica were expecting it to happen in their lifetime. And we also talked about how many things are converging today that makes it look like it's even closer now than ever before in the history of the world. The things that are lining up over in the Middle East. And just the things that are happening in our country. All the chaos, all the um, division, all the confusion. No one knows really who to listen to or what's going on. But you and I have a tremendous advantage because we serve the living God who's in charge of everything. He knows everything. So as we're plugged into him, he keeps us alert. He keeps us going in the right direction. Title of tonight's message is The Race to Finish, or The Grace to Finish the Race. The Grace to Finish the Race. So we're going to jump into 2 Thessalonians 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Now remember, Paul, as he's closing this letter to these new believers, he's giving a lot of encouragement. He's trying to warn them and encourage them, to persuade them, to appeal to them, to charge them with things to do. And God's word is active and alive, so he's encouraging us through these words. The Holy Spirit's encouraging us, urging us, calling us, appealing to us to listen, to hear what he has to say. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, It says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. Now, notice in verse 1, Paul is saying to pray. To pray that the word of God goes forth swiftly, with power, with impact. That God, that Jesus Christ is being glorified. Up on the uh, board it says, Prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly. 
Others give but an occasional pluck at the rope. But he who wins with heaven is a man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. That word languidly is just like an easy pull, no big deal. You know, if it works, it works. But what a great description, isn't it, of thinking of prayer as that rope and just really working the rope, just ringing that bell, staying with it. Being persistent in prayer. And Paul is saying here, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Why? That the word of God that we proclaim to you will go swiftly, powerfully, impactfully, wherever we go. You and I have that same charge, don't we? That as we spend time in prayer, in God's word, we're praying that God uses us to make an impact in others' lives. When Paul says that God leads his people in Christ's triumphal procession in 2 Corinthians 2, spreading the fragrance of his truth, he's referring to a practice in the ancient world where armies who were victorious would burn incense as they marched through the streets. So the supporters smelt it, and they smelt it was joyful. It was a great odor for them, great fragrance, where the enemies smelt it, and it was a sign of defeat, of death. Well, God says that you and I carry a pleasing fragrance to those who believe when we're around them. But understand that those people who are on the fence, who are not believing, it's something that they smell, and they might not like that smell. Because there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit there. God leads us by His Spirit that we have an impact on the people that we are around. Verse 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Now, unreasonable definition out of place improper harmful so unreasonable men wicked men that have an evil influence now remember this is being written to a church it is not being written to the world as we come together on Wednesdays, on Sundays, in home groups, at different meetings. And God's word is preached. God's word is discussed. You have to understand that God's grace is doing something in each of us. It's challenging us. Convicting us. Encouraging us. There's some impact it's making. None of us are where God wants us to be. None of us. So as we open up his word, we're finding out things about ourselves that maybe we don't like. And I think in Paul's closing in this last uh, chapter of 2 Thessalonians, he's challenging these people as I believe we're going to be challenged tonight. 
Notice the last few words of verse 2 says, Not all have faith. Not all have faith. Not everyone hears God's word. Not everybody learns God's word. Not everybody discusses God's word. Not everybody holds God's word above their own name. Not everybody reveres God's word. Not everybody wants to shout that they can't live without God's word. Remember, this is directed to the body of Christ. Where do we fall in some of the things that I just read? And this is not only for you. This is for me. As I'm preparing this lesson, I'm saying, boy, where am I when it comes to some of these things? And understand in this verse, too, that there were wicked men in the congregation that had an influence on the body of Christ in that church. May it never be so in Calvary Chapel Crossfields. May that never be so. But understand, we need to check our heart with the Lord all the time. Verse 3. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. We, I think we understand that God says what he means, and he means what he says. God has exampled his proof throughout history through men and women who have followed him as well as those who did not follow him. We can read about the consequences of those who follow God and those who did not. We can see it in the nations as well as individuals throughout Scripture. We can do the same thing, can't we, in our lifetime? We can see the effect that the Lord has on those people who follow him. We can see the impact of the people who do not follow him. It's right there before us. So both in the scriptures and in our own lives, we understand that God means what he says and says what he means. The choices that are made on this planet by human beings and nations will echo through eternity. One of the great lines in that movie, Gladiators, you know, the things that we do on this will echo in eternity. Well, we can apply it even better here in the Bible. That the choices that are made on this planet by human beings and nations will echo throughout eternity, won't it? Or won't they? Forever. I think of the people that will be in hell, that are in hell right now. How many times they heard in their lifetime the saving message of Christ's death for their sins and the resurrection to give them new life. But they chose not to go that route. They chose the other way. Notice in that last part of verse 3 that God is faithful. He will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we talked last week about Lucifer, about Satan, the devil, the adversary, the accuser of the brethren. Always at work. God will always accomplish what He started. He will strengthen us. He will perfect us. He will guard us. He will protect, fight, win for us against the evil one. Never forget that the devil and his team, 
are on the prowl. And they're competing to steal, to kill, and destroy as many people as possible. That is a, every second thing that they're doing. They never rest. If you're not plugged in here at this church, you're a sitting duck. You're a lone ranger Christian. And remember, even the lone ranger had Tonto. He really wasn't alone. Do you take advantage of Sunday and Wednesday and home groups and if you're a high school student or college, FCA or Campus Crusade for Christ, prayer groups, daily devotions, etc. These are the things that God has given us through His grace to finish this race and to run it each day. None of us can survive without it. None of us can grow without God's Word. Verse 4, And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you both, that you do and will do the things we command you. Confidence. We all have been tested, haven't we, in that area of confidence? Whether it be in school, on your job, in your family, in church, confidence. We know what God has done for us in the past. We know what God is doing for us in the present. We have confidence, when I say we, the pastors, the elders, that if you're sincerely seeking the Lord, we have confidence that He will do for you what He has done for us and for people throughout history. Because He is faithful. He is the author. He is the perfecter of your faith and my faith. God does not play favorites. He knows who responds to His voice and who we are praying for. He knows who's praying. He knows who's looking to Him. He knows who draws close to Him. This word command is used four times in this chapter. Right there at the end of verse 4. That's the first of the four times that the word command is used. Do it. Will we do it? It's an order. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. We have to remember, and as it will unfold in the next few verses, we have to remember that we are in the army of God. You and I, when we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we became part of that army of God. Jesus being our commander and our chief. We're to be a living, holy sacrifice set apart by God, trained by Him. His words, written on our heart by the Holy Spirit, are not suggestions. They are life, liberty, and they lead to godliness. We must be doers of the Word, right? Not just hearers of the Word. We're all hearing it tonight. 
But just hearing it doesn't cut it. We have to be doers of the word. Verse 5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. The Holy Spirit directs your heart and my heart into the Father's love. Giving us the patience of Jesus. Let me just throw that at you again. The Holy Spirit directs your heart into the Father's love. Giving you the patience of Jesus. In Galatians 5.22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. All fruit has to be, cult- has to be planted by a seed. It grows. It has to be cultivated. It has to be watered. It has to be pruned in order for the piece of fruit to be healthy. Doesn't God do that to us? Somewhere along your lifetime, a seed was planted. The message of the gospel was planted. Somebody was praying for you. Somebody witnessed to you. Then you started reading his word. You, got, you were grown by the water of his word. You were being blessed by it. Then other people were put in your path. You heard things. You discussed things. You grew. Then there was trials and tribulation, the pruning, the cutting. You didn't understand it at the time, but as you look back at the things that you've gone through, you can see that it was all for good because you loved the Lord. It came out good. And He's still working on us, right? He's still pruning us. We're not done yet. It's not over yet. Verse 6. But we command you... Brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which they receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you. There's that word command again. It's an order. Remember, you're the army of God. You're getting orders here. Paul, with the Thessalonians, he was given the authority by Jesus to say this to the people. We, as we read God's word, we're being given authority by God's Holy Spirit to teach and preach his word. You, by God's grace, have ears to hear, to take these words and put them into your heart. you have that same authority to tell others and teach others God's word. And notice in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you would draw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which they receive from us. That withdraw is to remove yourself. To remove yourself. And we're going to look at that in a couple other verses too. From every brother who walks disorderly, and we're going to break down that disorderly in a minute. According to the tradition which they receive from us. Now we can't get up, we can't get caught up in man's and the church's tradition. 
This word tradition does not mean those kind of things that the church institutes or that, the, that man institutes. This tradition is the teaching, the apostolic teaching, the teachings of Jesus, okay, that he's passing on to the people in Thessalonica, that we're getting from the Holy Spirit through God's holy word a couple thousand years later. It's crazy how God, how God continues to work through his word. Verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. They, the apostles, set an example. They said, follow us as we follow Jesus. Be imitators of us, because we're imitating Jesus. For we were not disorderly among you. Just like today, back in these days, they heard God's word, some reacted to it and did it. Others did not. It's no different today, is it? It's no different today. Some people really listen to God's word and ask God's Holy Spirit to just make that part of their lives. Other people just figure they come to church, do their duty, walk out, and never think about what God is trying to say to them. They don't meditate on God's word. Now what I'd like to do is look at that uh, over the next few minutes. Look at this word disorderly. One of the applications comes from soldiers marching out of order. Quitting their ranks. Doing their own thing. Not realizing their rank. They're lawless. They don't realize their place. They're not following the authority that is put over them. They act as if they're in charge when God has clearly put someone else in that role. Now, we're talking about military, but the same things happen in churches. Same things happen in churches. Some people think they're in charge when someone else is in charge. And they can't submit to that authority. And I can tell you this just from my experience involved here and in other Bible-believing churches. God can never put you in a position of leadership unless you're a great servant, unless you can follow. The better you can follow the authority put over you, the greater the chances God will someday put you in a position where you're the authority and someone's following you. No one can be a great leader unless they're first a great servant. And remember, Jesus was the greatest example of servanthood. How much so? So much so that he went to the cross and shed his blood for the whole world. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. As we continue on this road to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God gives us grace to show us those things in our life that we need to add in our relationship with him.
we here in the church, here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields, each have a role or roles in this body of Christ. Each pastor has a role. Each elder has a role. Each member has a role. Conflicts result when we are disorderly. We get out of our role. We forget our place. Sometimes the role is to follow a leader. Sometimes you're called to lead and others to follow you. In World War II, 50,000 Americans and 100,000 British people deserted from the armed forces. 50,000 Americans and 100,000 British people. And I call them people, not soldiers, because I think that's disrespecting the soldier. I can't call them a soldier. Unfortunately, Christians do the same thing. They don't follow the words of their commander-in-chief. They don't wait on the Lord. They don't hang in there. There's no commitment. They have a disorderly life. We need to close the ranks. And what that means is to unite. To defend each other from verbal, physical, spiritual attacks. Come alongside each other to make our body here at Calvary Chapel, Crossfields, stronger. We have to defend each other loyally. Remember, there is no military discharge in Christianity. We are called to always be engaged in battle. And I think of that word acts, A-C-T-S. To praise God, to worship Him, to adore Him, to confess our sins, to thank God, and to intercede on behalf of other believers as well as non-believers that they would come to the Lord. We have commands that God is urging for us to do, just as he did through Paul to the Thessalonians. Got this from a military site on the computer. Three top reasons you could fail basic training. One, you're an egotistical maniac. Two, you're not joining for the right reasons. Three, you refuse to be helped. I'd like to read from you, from a, this Sergeant Vulcan, he's a retired military man. And this was a letter he received from a potential soldier. Dear Sergeant Vulcan, I work out every day and I get straight A's in school. My fear about basic training isn't about my capabilities to fail. My fear is that I will get booted for being too tough. If the drill sergeant's trying bossing me around, I fear my subconscious fighting skills in karate, I'm a black belt, will take over and I will strike and injure the drill sergeant. How can I control the fighting force that has been instilled in me? Since I have straight A's and am already a fighting force, can I get a waiver from my recruiter so I don't have to attend basic training? Now, I have to emphasize, this is not a joke. It's an actual email that went to Sergeant Vulcan. 
And here is Sergeant Vulcan's response. Dear X, you can't get a waiver for being such an awesome person. The fact that you would ask that question shows you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. You will get yelled at by your drill sergeants and judging by your personality probably many times a day. Not only will you not strike them, you will probably pee in your pants the first time you get yelled at. My advice to you is not to be overconfident. Your ego might be your worst enemy. Best of luck. So there's number one, being an egotistical maniac that can really knock you out as a member, a healthy member in the body of Christ. Number two, you're not joining for right reasons. Someone might have told you that joining the military is a great source for repaying college loans, which is true. Someone might have also told you to join the military will provide some direction and structure in your life. Also true. However, if you aren't joining the military because you genuinely want to be there and serve your country, your chances of failure skyrocket. Mentally, you will have a very difficult time understanding why you are truly there, why you should continue being there, and why you shouldn't just get up and walk away. That is, go AWOL. It is perfectly fine to join the military for the aforementioned reasons. However, the underlying reason must be for the love of your country and the true belief that you live in the greatest country in the world. Now, when you decided to become a Christian, one of the things the Bible said is to count the cost. As you continue to get in your military manual, God continues to reveal to you those things that you and I have to work on, that are weaknesses in our makeup. Some of us hear and apply. Some of us just bounces off. It's just a sound that bounces off. So, why are you a Christian? And do you understand that once you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's just the beginning? It's not the end. It's just the beginning of a tremendous adventure with the Lord here on this earth until we meet Him face to face. The third reason you could fail basic training, you refuse to be helped. No one, and I mean no one, makes it through basic training without being helped by another recruit. You must be the type of person to offer and accept help when needed. I have seen countless recruits try to act too tough to admit they need help or are too afraid to ask other recruits when they need help. Either way, you must be a team player to graduate boot camp. Boy, how many of these military things have applications to the spiritual, to being a team player in the body of Christ, to come alongside others to help, sometimes follow, and maybe sometimes lead, but to be in rank, to be in order, to not be disorderly. Verse 8, nor did we eat anyone's bread 
free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And again, remember Paul and the guys that were with him, they came from a far distance. You know, they all had a trade. And I was just thinking as we're doing this, I know Pastor Paul, Pastor Joe, and myself, we all had full-time jobs before we retired. So one of the neat things for the body of Christ here is we have a pension, we have insurance, so the burden on the church is not like it would be if we were full-time. Not full-time, where we had, needed a full-time salary, I should say. And that's a blessing. You know, so many things about this church have been God's grace. The way we came upon this church, the way God has blessed us over the years. It's just God's grace. Nor did, um, verse 9, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. One of the things that so many religious groups, they lorded over their congregation, almost like a dictatorship. They, they rule on fear. They rule on guilt. One of the things that we know, or hopefully you know, is that through God's word, the Holy Spirit might convict you, but there's a big difference between conviction and guilt. Usually guilt drives you away from the Lord. Conviction usually draws you to the Lord, and that's what God does through his word, through his Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter 5, 2-4, it says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is among you, watching over them, not out of compulsion, but because it is God's will, not out of greed, but out of eagerness, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. We're to be living examples, you know, Pastor Paul and myself will have meetings with, and Christine will have meetings with Pastor Joe. We'll discuss things. We'll give input. But the bottom line is, he has the final say. He's the one that God put as the head pastor of this church. But understand that all of us, including Pastor Joe, has a chief shepherd that he is accountable to. And I think the thing that really came across in my study in this uh, chapter tonight was that whole thing with the military and the, your place in, the, in that army and understanding and obeying and being submissive. You know, I'm sure on these long hikes, these military guys don't like to do everything they're doing, going up and down the hills and the cold and, the, and being hungry and the pain and the cramps. But they stay in line. They stay in order. Because they realize that one day they're being trained for a fight of life and death. But I think spiritually we need to be thinking that way also. That it's our spiritual life and our spiritual death. Not that our salvation can be taken away. But in the sense of how healthy are we individually in the body of Christ that God is calling us to be in. That's huge. We all want to be a healthy part of the body, adding to the strength of the body, not diminishing the strength, not taking away from the strength. 
Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Work, another word for work is minister. To minister to the other people in the congregation. Pastor Joe, I believe, said it this past Sunday. A lot of times you depend on us. But that shouldn't be. You're all ministers in the body of Christ. In an order. You have a role to play in the body of Christ. It's about action. It's not about just always receiving from who's ever up here. It's being active in that body where you're placed. We're commanded to labor. We're commanded to produce. Through God's Holy Spirit, who's going to enable that to happen, we've got to be submissive to Him. This word eat here in this verse, you see some people were taking food that was meant for the workers. They were working. And the food was there for them. But these people weren't doing anything and they were still eating. We are all living stones coming together to make the body of Christ healthy with Jesus Christ being the head. We have to always remember that. That head is not any man. The head is Jesus Christ. Verse 11, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Busybody, definition. Busy doing useless things. People who are concerned and meddle in other people's business. They're out of rank. They're out of order. They're disorderly. They're worried about others instead of just saying, Lord, what would you have me do on this team, in this body? And being satisfied right where God has you. How many times have you heard Pastor Joe over the years say, he never, way back, never intended to be a pastor? And I can tell you in the 10 years or whatever I've been with Pastor Joe, I didn't want to be an elder. I had no desire to be a pastor. Bill, you've said it from up here. I mean, Paul was a mailman. Joe was a cop. I was a phys ed teacher. Right? That's a God thing. It's not a man thing. Verse 12. Now those who are such we commend and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Now this is directed to the busybodies because there's busybodies in every church just like in the Thessalonica church. If this is something that convicts anybody here or on the CD or on the internet understand that this is part of God's grace to shed light on all the different things that we're speaking about tonight. So don't get bent out of shape. Just get in your place. 
getting your rank in that army of God. Now notice he's saying, he's telling them to be quiet and still. To be quiet and still. What happens when you're quiet and still? You can hear God's voice. And eat your own bread. You're not doing nothing. Don't be taking the bread that's meant for the other people who are doing something. And then, as you submit to the Lordship of Christ, and you take a lower place, God will raise you up. It'll just happen. It'll just happen. You have a desire to be an elder, a pastor. You have a desire to lead a woman's group, whatever it is. Just be faithful in the little things. God will draw you out. Has nothing to do with anybody here noticing. The Holy Spirit will put on the hearts of the authority here and will direct them to you. You just be faithful where you are. Verse 13, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So you're not giving him the cold shoulder and ignoring him and never talking to that person again. You're going to continue to just do good. You don't care if you don't see any results from it because you're not doing it for man or woman. You're doing it unto the Lord. So it doesn't matter if you get credit for anything. We all know if you do, it's pat on the back. It's awesome. But understand who you're doing it for. And then if you come across those people who aren't obeying God's command, pray for that person. You might withdraw from him a little bit. But then you're going to go to him and speak to him. You're going to give him a heads up. And hopefully everybody's receiving this message tonight and the problem solving. You never have to do that. But in the closing of this, remember each of us here are brothers and sisters. There could be fleshly things that were upset with people because of personalities. But understand the living God is in every believer that's here. God, through His Holy Spirit, gives us the love, the agape love, that only He can give for one another. If you're having a hard time with each other, understand that's God's grace showing you that you need to get before the Lord in order to be tight with that person who maybe right now is in conflict with you. In the last three verses, now may the Lord, and this is how Paul Closes out all his letters. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. And the Lord be with you all. Salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Unless God's grace is with us, we can't run the race. We're dependent on that grace every day. Let's pray.
You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have Children's Church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.